Welcome to another episode of Executive Realness. I'm your host, Teddy Tenson, and today we're discussing Dave Chappelle and the post-election SNL episode, joined by none other than the incomparable Vanessa Williams. Let's give her a round of applause. I th- I think those who are in the know know the difference between Vanessa Williams and Vanessa L. Williams, and we love both equally. I'm loving that. I do, too. I worked with her daughter uh, in 2019. I went to school with her. With Jill? No, no, with the baby girl. Ah. Mm-hmm. And she played my daughter. It was so funny. And her daughter, I mean, her dad played... Um, Sasha, our, and her dad played my little love interest for this Christmas movie. It was so, so cute. Oh, that's so wonderful. Well, isn't it funny? <laughs> I think I, I can speak on behalf of, you know, at least half the globe when I say we cannot wait for Candyman. So 2021 can't come soon enough. I know, for many, many reasons, but for sure, I'm, ex- I'm on the excitement team as well. I did get to see it, and it's, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. Very cool. Well, let's jump right in and we can start with you since you're at the top of the queue anyway. Uh, What did you think about last night's SNL episode, especially Dave Chappelle's monologue? Well, you know, I count Dave as a friend and I'm so blessed to um, to know him that way. and, and so he's just so smart and authentic, you know, even him expressing that, yeah, he's nervous. Um, before on Clubhouse, people were talking about, you know, whether he was going to be nervous. And I was like, nah, he's going to kill it like he did before. But it was so sweet and, and authentic, you know, of him to say, yeah, and I'm a little nervous. But then he wrote through, you know, the, the monologue and really talking about the masks that people wear and that we as black people wear and you can take your mask off but he can't I mean there were so many poignant things I read a review of the show last night um I can't remember which um which medium was what did the review that I read but um you know, it, it was a mixed review of it, but I think the, the some, somewhat awkward things that um, that he says in his monologue that gets that people don't know what to do with is part of the discussion because these are some really, really um, unusually alarming, trying times. So that the fact that we can't laugh at this is really part of the issue. And right. I think he speaks to that. Absolutely. Max, what are your thoughts about last night's monologue? I so I didn't watch it last night. I actually watched it this morning on YouTube and I watched it twice. Uh first time I watched it, I just wanted to listen to what he was saying. And the second time I wanted to take a deeper dive and actually like listen truly to the different set up the joke, like the way he uh, portrayed the different issues. And I think something Vanessa hit on, the moment that he said that he was nervous, and then saying, and then bringing it back around to the police officer and the uniform, and the hate, instead of hating people, it's hating the feeling, and then fighting through that feeling. Like, the nervousness at the beginning is an acknowledgement of that feeling um, or a feeling and then pushing through it and moving and completing that. 
the moments where people did laugh. Um, like the idea of there were bad people on both sides and it was quiet. I think that is more telling about where where the issue still stands and being able to acknowledge that yes, there were on bad bad people on both sides or some some in between and just that juxtaposition between what he was saying and what he was uh, like what his purpose was as like a comedy show and to shed light on these issues and the fact that no one laughed I just thought it was very interesting to see those uh, two points of view that feeling you know, and the the bad people on both sides, right? And that silence, it was all deafening, right? Because I don't think we interrogate enough of the nuance and the gray areas of where comedy faces, um, forces us to face the truth, right? There were tons of people that enabled 45 even if they were against him right so we saw that in the in the wage gap setup as uncomfortable as it is uh which you know makes you, i'm sorry to interrupt you teddy which makes you wonder if there really was a disagreement about you know that that, he, that they, these uh, these other people thought differently than 45 exactly exactly you know and it's it's one thing to have a political affiliation or a certain post or job title but again i believe it was baldwin and i'm paraphrasing here where he says like i don't know your thoughts but i do see your actions right and so that's how we have to temper things and i'm constantly asking you know white allies or you know even some black conservatives uh you know what are you conserving what are you tempering or moderating what are you withholding right because at the end of the day we're all we should all be on the same page in terms of our collective equity and equality just so that people have a baseline of of human dignity uh tony what are your thoughts on the monologue um well to be honest, I uh, took so long for the show to come on, and I watched the skit, and I saw Dave um, pacing with a cigarette, and I don't know, I must have passed out. I don't know what happened. But um, I, I will say this, though, with a little bit I did hear, um, and, and to him saying both sides, they are, both sides are complicit by what they did or did not do, what they said or did not say. Absolutely. Um, and, 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 you know, I, and I, I, it, you know, it's easy to sit back and demonize someone. But I always say this. Trump did not vote for himself. There were 63 and now 70 million people. There's 70 million little Trumps. And, I, and you, if you really are tuning in to what people are saying, Chris Matthews, a lot of the TV journalists, all their family members voted for Trump. And, and so there is a conversation that need to be had um, with people within their family. I call a lot of people political offense um, regarding how this whole thing kind of panned out. But um, Dave Chappelle 
to me, is a little more than a comedian. He, he, his satires and stuff hits on things that make people... I, I, he always makes people uncomfortable. He's more of an anthropologist at this point, if you ask me, or yeah. a sociologist. Yeah, absolutely. He, he's more than that, and, and that's the reason why I tune into him. I'm not expecting to be entertained. I'm expecting to be a little enlightened when I watch Dave Chappelle. So I, I view him and listen to him differently than people who are expecting for him to laugh, to make them laugh. Yes, I completely agree, Tony. Those were great points. And, you know, just like I mentioned the wage gap issue and, you know, Dr. Burks, he alluded to, you know, being complicit um, with, you know, the lack of transparency around coronavirus cures. Um, similarly, I was uncomfortable with the Freddie Mercury gay AIDS joke, but after sleeping on it, I can connect those dots just in terms of how we did not respond to that public health crisis from the White House on down, which is why we have Rock Hudson and Elizabeth Taylor and that history there, right? So it's like, yes, the things that are most triggering or make us uncomfortable and we can, you know, correlate to when the audience, you know, went silent. Those were probably some of the most awful truths, right? I think that was the point of the joke, don't you, Teddy, on further reflection of it? That Absolutely. It wasn't, it wasn't until Rock Hudson and others got uh, the AIDS, you know, got um, HIV and AIDS that it became something that the population, general population, had to take a notice of and find a cure for. But it's the same thing with Black Lives Matter. Yes, Police all these things are related. Taking place, Nancy Pelosi could kill us until, until there was a mushroom of response. And all of a sudden, they're kneeling and kente cloths. Tony, we're going to come back to that, to that <laughs> point. I'm in Los Angeles. It's still too early for that, for that comment, Tony. But thank you. Ray. Kente at that. <laughs> In their defense, the Congressional Black Caucus does pull out the, the kente shawls for special ceremonies. Um, that said, it was a tone-deaf moment, and the photo op, you know, did not, um, was not executed as, as, great as, as greatly as it could have been. Clearly, they didn't ask no Africans, no Ghanaians about that moment. Hello. Touche. Ray, would you like to go? Tell us your thoughts about hey. last night's monologue. and dialogue. I think, uh, you know, for me, Dave, Dave's transition over these past 10 years has been incredible. I think his um, intent with his writing, uh, you know, it's kind of, we can see the lineage from a Richard Pryor. We can see, you know, the depth and the weight uh, of the influence of a Paul Mooney. And I think it's very much so important within the transition and conversations that we're having on how people use their voices and the stories that, that they decide to tell and, you know, lean in on. Uh, and I think the weight that Dave is carrying with the points that he's making, I think it helps us as, you know, America, as the world, you know, exercise our, the conversation around morality and the things that we need to, you know, have more precision with trying to actually come up with a resolve on 
And I, I, I'm, I'm, first of all, he's extremely brave because, you know, years before, you know, we, 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 we would have stories of, you know, people who would speak out in this manner and would receive death threats. And it's, it's incredible that he's in this, in this place where we don't necessarily fear losing him. And he's, he, 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 he's, he's in a sacred, you know, great, great, you know, integral place that is leading us. You know, in a way where he's also, you know, allowing for spaces for other people to come in and, you know, you know, do do their part to help lead in, in, in other areas. So I, I just feel like, you know, Dave did an amazing job touching base on, you know, uh, speaking on the wage gap, you know, speaking on, you know, how, you know, certain people are going about their days. Uh, sorry, my dog is like acting crazy right now. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> how, you know, people. People are going 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 on about their days with knowing how to fix their current situation, uh, knowing how to you know be better humans to other humans, but necessarily not putting that action forth, and you know just pushing it off, and for 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 other people to kind of sort of get on board. You know, it's kind of it's kind of like you know how. Uh, humans interact with uh, social media of, of, of today's climate or is it like a, a, a new product? I know I've, I've been in and out of these uh, chat rooms lately and a lot of, you know, the black audience is saying, oh, we need our own, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like that doesn't necessarily get the follow up uh, slash support until it becomes trendy. And, you know, I think, you know, Dave is integral in, 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 in trying to push the trendy idea of coming with solutions and putting actions behind it so we can finally get past just talking about coming together as humanity. So, yeah, that, that was my thoughts on it. Like I said, I loved it every, every bit, every ounce, every skit of it. So, yeah. Absolutely. Thank you for that insight, Ray. And I completely agree, you know, and much to Tony and Vanessa's points, you know, about the kente cloth even, you know, uh, in relation to BLM or how people use George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and COVID, right? As Dave Chappelle noted last night, um, as the reason why they had this great awakening. But I call it the woke for profit movement, right? Because it's about palatability and safety and real protest is not about safety, right? It's, it's now cool and acceptable to kneel. But when Colin Kaepernick was doing it, it was dangerous because it was against the grain of what you know, we deemed acceptable. Amir. And anything but profitable for him. Absolutely. He lost so much, right? I hope he voted this go-round, though. Amir, would you like to share your thoughts about Chappelle's monologue? Uh, yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I hope to be able to uh, give uh, a perspective. He was in Atlanta for the last like week or so working on the monologue um, at a comedy club here in Atlanta. And so I was, he was doing two shows a day uh, for, I feel like for maybe about six, saw the, the monologue about 12 times. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, and I was uh, backstage with him while he was working on the bits, you know? And, um, you know, without uh, that's kind of a sacred space. I don't want to talk in detail about. Of course. About it, but there was definitely a, you know, the way that it was killing in Atlanta at this comedy club with all these black folks in Atlanta was very different than, as you can imagine, the way it played uh, in front of a bunch of you know New York white people. But well, and also there's certain audience that 
uh, a live in-house audience at SNL caters to, right? Which is sons and daughters of, you know, or, you know, elite university classmate turn roommate situation. So a very different audience. I agree. Exactly. So, you know, people in Atlanta, you know, performed on their chairs, but he knew that. He, he articulated it. You know, he would say, like, yeah, this is killing here, but where I'm going, this isn't going to land. But he was like, um, people need, um, this is what they need to hear. And he, these white people, this is what they need to hear. I'm going to tell them what they don't want to hear, but what they need to hear. And he took it as a very serious responsibility on like a deeply spiritual level um, to deliver uh, what he had to say. And um, he said, um, even if things don't land well on the night, he said, this is going to age very well. Yes. So we look back at this moment in 10 years, five years even, and look back at this moment, this will, um, it'll, it'll, it'll age well. I think everyone understands what that means. Absolutely. And, um, and so he was, uh, he was prepared to, you know, go into this, this arena and not be the, you know, the great, super hilarious Dave Chappelle um, that he knew he was going to go in and may have to kind of, uh, you know, um, sacrifice something uh, in the moment uh, to do what's needed more than doing just what he would want to do, to feel like his comedic ego and being the greatest comedian alive for him just to get up there and just say jokes that he's no, he knows is going to kill because... You know, anyone who's seen her work, obviously, all, all of us have seen her work. And even the last show he did, there was someone that was there for one of the earlier shows, and he was sitting in the front. And he was like, hey, you were here from the last time. And he was like, yeah. So then he was like, I can't do the same set. Like, my ego won't let me. So he made up a whole new hour in the moment, off the dome, here in this club. And then it's like watching, um, I mean, it's just greatness, you know, it's just witness him do it. So... He knows what to do to make even that crowd laugh and fall out their chairs laughing and be like, oh, this was so hilarious. But uh, he took a very deliberate decision to deliver something else that was, you know, necessarily less comfortable. I He's could, a very you... intentional person. I'm sorry, Teddy. No, no, please, Vanessa, the floor is yours. He's so intentional and purposeful where he lives, how he lives, leaving that the, the success of the, the show, the sketch show. So it, it just speaks to his character. And I, I also wanted to say that I'm so happy that you talked about um, the work that he did on it, Amir, working in, uh, in, the, in the small comedy space, because many people don't realize the craft of comedy, what it is to craft an act, and, and how... You know, the seriousness uh, that that the comedians, the real genius satirists, the, the people who are purposeful, who have longevity, and that are really comic geniuses put into their work of, the, of their comedy. And I, I know that I've turned to the late night comedians to get me through these four years of this presidency. That's how I've been able to even navigate it. My soul has been able to navigate it because of the because of the truth telling and putting it in um, a, a comedic um, parsing it out in a comedic way that you could just you know laugh at the insanity of it all. Yes, I couldn't agree with you more, Vanessa. You know, I I think of like Amir said, Richard Pryor and Paul Mooney and Dick Gregory, right? 
Um, and yes, Trevor Noah and Colbert and Seth Meyers, those guys have been doing a, a remarkable job the last couple of years. And I also want to shout out Larry Wilmore and Amber Ruffin and yes. the, the Black Lady Sketch Show, right? Led by Robin Thede and Issa Rae, I think is like such an incredible moment in time where we're able to tell our stories to the masses. And yes, it is nerve inducing, but it's necessary. And I just want to take one quick break. But before we do that, I want to remark on how chic and adult Dave looked. He's He's been stunning low key for the last couple of years, uh, but he, he looked he looked absolutely gorgeous in that Tom Ford Navy suit. I didn't love the sneakers, but I didn't mind it. You know, it's still it's SNL. Exactly. Yeah. So, but but he he looked wonderful, and then I I loved it even more when he removed the tie for the next sketch. And Amber, you're up next. Stay tuned for more executive realness. His podcast called Executive Realness. Thank you very much for for that addendum, Vanessa. And your voice is just—I mean, you already know this, but. I, and I, I'm going to gush for, for two seconds. I hope I don't embarrass you. But I uh, grew up watching you, as I'm sure many people in this room did. And one, you haven't aged today. I mean, absolutely stunning. We need to have you on every magazine cover. But also, just like your body of work has constantly contributed to the culture. How does it feel to have this extensive body of work and to still be at it better than ever? Well, thank you for acknowledging that, you know, I'm just a girl from Brooklyn. And so a lot of times I'm not considering, you know, everything that I've done, you know, in this business, it's all about, you know, Janet Jackson, what have you done for me lately? (laughs) (laughs) And boots on the ground, you know, trying to get my next gig. And, and and my desire to tell stories and be um, purposeful and transformative with the lives that I try to embody in, in the roles that I have. Um, you know, so I'm just grinding and there's nothing else I want to do. So, I mean, there's many other things I want to do, but it's I, I count it as a privilege to have the resiliency and the longevity that I've had, but it's just a fire and desire inside me as a storyteller and a creative. And I'm so proud to have birthed some amazing creative kids who are going to be um, doing great things in this world. So I, I'm, I'm grateful for that legacy and humbled, you know, that that I have love in the club. Yes, absolutely. Love in the club house. And, you know, your legacy endures. And just thank you for everything. I just have uh, one last question uh, going off what Amir said and what you commented on as well. The artist at work, right? Craft. Dave Chappelle, when he did that eight minute, 46 second uh, piece that just went up on YouTube and Netflix earlier this summer, Uh, following George Floyd's uh, gruesome murder that was seen around the world, he had the notepad, um, and I couldn't tell if it was a prop or if it was an actual notepad, but it didn't matter either way. It just seemed like this is a thing that I study, right? I'm I'm a student of the craft of storytelling through comedy, and it was brilliant. 
I would absolutely wager that it was a notepad of his ideas, things he wanted to talk about, a reminder of himself. That's that's how comedians work. I mean, that's another thing that myself, my dear friend Nicole Ari Parker, who played my sister in Soul Food, yes. class. We've been on the um, on Zoom taking acting class with a wonderful teacher out of New York, Tony um, Tony Greco. I mean, you those of us who love it, who respect it, we stay in the study of it because there's so much more to refine and dig out of ourselves as artists and to, um, and to bring to it much more to reveal. Like it's not, it's not static. It's a muscle and you and it will atrophy if you don't develop it. Mm, I couldn't have said it better myself. I interviewed the first out black congressman Richie Torres. He is one of two out black congressmen uh, alongside Mondaire Jones, both representing New York uh, in Congress. So that is a milestone coupled with, of course, Joe Biden's momentous win with record voter turnout. And of course, the first woman, the first black woman, the first Indian American woman, vice president. Madam Vice President Kamala Harris. So if we can just have a round of applause, that would be fantastic. Woo! <laughs> so, Danielle, I believe you have the floor. What are your thoughts on Dave Chappelle's excellent SNL monologue following the election? Also in LA, and although it's almost noon, I did have champagne last night. So listen, <laughs> <my train> of <laughs> thought, <laughs> it's because of that. Um, I'm right there with you, to be honest. So yeah, it's okay. <laughs> um, so I think what I love so much about Dave Chappelle, and he mentioned this last night, and I, I'm not going to say it verbatim, but he said um, how. In order to get a point across these days, an honest point, there needs to be a pun. It needs to be followed by a pun. Um, and what's so great about him is, yeah, like, was I slapping my knee laughing at his jokes? No. Do I often <laughs> do that? No, because I think he uses comedy as a medium to get very uncomfortable truths to us. And he did that last night. He did that with the George Floyd bit. And like, I've sent his stuff to people who do not have the same beliefs as me. Cause I'm like, I, okay, I'm not getting a point across, but I know Dave Chappelle can, even though his language is a little harsh sometimes. And yes, super uncomfortable sometimes but his he's able to speak to a lot of levels a lot of different people across the board with a very like like last night he was respectful of both sides right like I've I can't remember what he said at the end but he's respectful in his delivery and Oh, Andy, can you like, mute your mic? Uh, there, he, I think he just did. Um, and the fact that he uses comedy to, even though it's not always funny and laugh out loud, he's able to deliver 
again, I'm repeating myself, sorry, very uncomfortable truths because it's labeled as comedy, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, and he did it last night. He did it, you know, if you've watched David Letterman's um, episode with him on Netflix, he goes into his town and talks about Vanessa, like what you were saying. He lives a very purposeful life, a very spiritual life, a very intentional life. And because I know that, it's hard not to listen to him. And also, even in times when I'm really uncomfortable, that those are the jokes, quote-unquote jokes, where, oh, I need to really listen. I'm going to go back to listen to that one because he said it for a reason. <laughs> I feel uncomfortable. I want to know what he meant, and I want to you know, shift my trajectory and I, because everything he says is just very meaningful. Yes. We were, yeah, oh, yeah. go on. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, no. I think that's where I'm going to start going on a tangent because I'm a little hungover. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I, again, like the, the fact that he said a lot of times these, these days we can't make a point unless it's followed by a pun, I just think is really true. And I'm glad that he, hasn't shielded himself because we're in a society where we're tiptoeing around anything, everything. He doesn't care what he says. He says the truth. And I just totally respect him for that. Yes. I couldn't agree with you more on all of those points. You know, it is easier to get a point across uh, through a joke, right? And that is why the art of comedy is so, so powerful. I do want to remark on one point that you were saying about, you know, when you send clips to those in your life that may not, you know, um, hear you the first time the way that they might hear Dave Chappelle, I think, and and also Dave Chappelle's language, right? Um, I think civility will be the death of us all. And I mean the tone policing and the, you know, over explaining, which leads to gaslighting. Right. And I think for so long, we've all been conditioned to accept certain uh, modes of communication, which were actually just silencing women, silencing people of color, silencing the LGBTQ community etc etc right so i think dave chappelle being on national channel 4 television was saying those things in that way was like the most revolutionary act of of modern times and he's gonna get through to people that are not glued to cnn and msnbc and fox news etc etc and i can't wait for the day that someone like or if not herself, Vanessa Williams, who's joining us today in this room, can give that type of monologue from a more intersectional perspective. Amber, welcome back. Thank you. It's, you're in LA, so I'm sure it's very windy where you are, too. Oh, it's so freezing. I'm going to wear leather pants when I go out for coffee today. <laughs> oh, and I, one more, one more thing. I just wanted to dedicate a song uh, to the room that was inspired by Danielle's um, Champagne High in celebration of Madam Vice President Kamala Harris and President-elect Joe Biden. I got the sweetest hangover. I don't want to get over. <laughs> okay, always a little Miss Ross, right? 
Come on, Vanessa, sing. Yes. <laughs> Amber, the floor is yours. you can you repeat the last sentence please uh, oh amber he, he said he said it's very windy and and uh her cable or something has gone out ah okay we'll come we'll come back to her but i i want to remark on what she started to say that is such a great point right about dave Chappelle walking away from that groundbreaking deal we all know about the Netflix numbers and all those things, he's more than fine, not to count his pocketbook. But it is to say, he mentioned about HBO Max putting the old Chappelle show on their new streaming platforms. And this is the importance of... And no residuals. And no residuals. We have to no understand that slavery was all about business. So like I say, corporations are the new plantations, right? Slavery hasn't ended because we still make up less than 5% of executive leadership positions at all these companies, regardless of industry, and especially as talent and sports, where those have been like the two spaces that Black men have been able to thrive and even begin to compete. Um, we're still so far behind, right? There are no Black sole owners of any professional sports league team, right? There are no, you know, um, Black business leaders that are the heads of X, Y, and Z. You know, we're just now getting presidents of divisions. We're just getting, you know, chairmen and chair ladies of different divisions and things like that, which is phenomenal but we've got a lot of work to do and i think dave Chappelle lamenting about how a deal that no agent could have uh foreseen 10 years ago about you know this streaming revolution we've been in he should get some kind of kickback from them taking that old show that he created and putting it on their new streaming platform even though he walked away from that comedy central deal i just think it is so baffling and we don't put enough emphasis on how like slavery and the residual traumas of slavery persist today through economics and free or lower paid labor of black bodies. On a, that's so that's so real on a very lesser scale than David's. I have the same thing with an independent film that I did or a series that I did for 
a network called UMC. It's now streaming on Netflix, and nobody's contacted me about, look, oh, yes, this will be your your residual payment for this new deal that's happened, and even with soul food. I mean, so many things, but we digress. But it's so valid and important, you know what I mean? But it's so valid and important what she said about how much money that was, what was going on in the country, what that skit was. And he it's as if his good conscience, you know, just his character, when he talked about his grandfather last night and, and how he wished his grandfather was alive to see him and see this, you know, all of that is important to him and, and speaks to who he is as a human being and as an activist within his work to say, no, y'all not going to clown me like this. Right. And his grandfather, <laughs> his great grandfather being born a slave was his first joke in the monologue. Like, right. that's how he began. <laughs> it's Namani. Namani. Thank you. Yes. Um, I think it's important that uh, we speak from a place of fact. Um, and I'm, I don't know the facts, but I don't know that it's fair to assume um, that he is not making any residuals. That's not what he actually said. Um, he said that he wasn't making money off of it going to... He, uh, right. Yeah, we're talking yeah. about his monologue. I know, but there's but there's nuance to the way that he said it um, and what he said, and there he is. I mean, Vanessa would be familiar with this. He is due money based on that. Um, whether he chooses to accept that money based on how that money filters to him is a different question, right? And so what he specifically was referencing was that he had been bought and sold and that he didn't control that destiny. But it doesn't, I just think we should be careful about assuming that he is not, that there's not a revenue stream that goes to him from it. Um, I see your point. I see your point. You're you're getting to the the nuance of it, but the point remains the same. Listen, he the quote is I'm going to I'm going to stop you right there. Netflix started streaming a show that bears his name. He's referring to his great grandfather who was born a slave until he and was a slave until he was 10 years old. The Chappelle show. HBO Max is streaming it and I didn't get paid for any of it. The audience laughs. Yeah, if he could see me now, he'd probably be like this N word got bought and sold more than I have. Full stop. And I, I will, uh, my brother Amir Suleiman um, is is friends with Dave as as am I. Yes, I um, I understand I that. I'm not so. negating what you're saying. I'm just saying we're going straight off the monologue. I'm not saying that there isn't a background contract negotiation. Cool. I I just I just think it's important that. that so- uh, that it's not a, a well. I'll, I'll leave it there. No, no, no. Finish um, your thought. I because I don't because I don't have insight to the facts, and because none of us do have specific insight to the facts, it's not worth 
debating. I think Amir is talking about the actual terms that we may not know about. Yes, which I which I just remarked on. I, we're simply going off the quote from his monologue. The sentence is, and I didn't get paid for any of it. That is not to say that the nuance that you brought into the room is any less valid than that. I'm agreeing with you. So I just wanted to know more about how you felt about the monologue, but we'll get to you after free. And Amber is back in the room. So she was the one that actually started commenting on the contract aspects of things and being quote unquote bought and sold. So Amber, the floor is yours. Yeah, I'm sorry. The, the like I was saying, the wind is just it's it's blowing out the Wi-Fi. Okay? Oh, that's okay. But my point. Is... Dang. Oh no. The wind is a hater. The wind's a hater. Well, free you okay. have you have the floor until Amber, you know, joins us again. Okay. Um, hi Vanessa, and thank you for inviting me. Uh, and to this, this is dope. Um, I did want to say that in regard to Dave Chappelle, first I want to speak on two very specific things. One is I think that Dave Chappelle has kind of transcended comedy, and we all understand that. Um, now he's a He's a, um, I hate the term thought leader, I just hate that term, but he is somebody who we value, not only his perspective, but the way that he has executed his career based on standing on the morals of his perspective. Yes, um, a cultural critic. Way, right, he is a cultural critic, but even to the point of being able to very clearly see it, and he's the last of a dying breed of a generation where... Being offended does not kill us. Being uncomfortable does not kill us. Um, and being able to hear a truth that is, and recognizing in certain spaces where truth is, not only in certain spaces, the way that I grew up is that truth has a higher priority than emotion. And so because they tends to deliver from a space where he gives priority to the truth, and softens that blow sometimes with comedy, but more so with analogy or juxtaposing it to something that's undeniable um, with great analogies or any of those different things. Um, I feel like Dave has just truly transcended the comedy space, and I would be down to just watch a TED talk from Dave Chappelle at this point. Um, and that's what the 846 was, right? It was more TED talk exactly. and, and extemporaneous speech even though I'm sure it was well-crafted behind the scenes, uh, it was that moment of truth, right? It wasn't about a punchline setup. Exactly, exactly. And that's a perfect example of that. And um, I would say to the way that we, like I said, the way we saw him execute his morals based on what happened and walking away from that deal, like Dave, in the end, you know, like once we look at Dave from the perspective of a 70-year-old man, um, he is so historic for these things at a time when it was very easy to still blackball people in the industry. Um, and we know that a lot of people have gone through different variations of being blackballed and their careers coming up to the public um, for scrutiny and all of the different things, stories and lies and all of these different things that end up happening. But Dave was willing to risk all of that, and now this kind of like victory lap that we've been seeing in the long run of it kind of coming up and showing that he is 
his value here. So even to speak about his grandfather and how he ties that in, and we all knowing Dave Chappelle's background, like it's very exhilarating um, to see him in these spaces, to be given platforms that's wide open, that is um, arguably knowing the history of Saturday Night Live. I don't know um, in specific numbers to this, but like even his show, this is the last point that I'm trying to make. His, I think that we look at, let's say, $40 million, I think, was the deal, right? And at the time, maybe that was a lot, but we don't take into consideration as people who are not owners how much residual will come from what his show did. And the means and the way that technology continues to grow and the way that things continue to happen and just whether it comes down to merchandise down the line and all of the quotes and the ways that we interact with Dave Chappelle as a brand from that point forward that all came from him and his mind and his execution that was still a small feat to be able to walk away from, even though it was large at the time. And now for him to get this space, like Saturday Night Live, which just has a, a much larger and wider range of audience, um, and for him to be able to even bring his audience to it, uh, just such a like, standing ovation moment for me. Free, to all of your points, it absolutely is revolutionary that that set happened at this time on national television. I mean, when are we talking about slavery in the open, right? From a comedian as revered as Dave Chappelle on a platform as longstanding as SNL, which has been around for what, 45, almost 50 years at this point. So I wholeheartedly agree with all your points. My new podcast, Executive Realness, which you can check out the first episode, where I interviewed America's first black and queer congressman, Richie Torres. So, Namani, the floor is yours. Yeah, um, um, I was happy to see this uh, conversation happening, and um, I just wanted to reference a couple of points that were made earlier. Um, I say this in the context of um, being very lucky to have um, spent a number of years um, around Dave, uh, in particular, or um, most frequently during uh, his kind of more public hiatus, or what the world saw as a public hiatus. Uh, what, what was actually happening is that he was regularly doing comedy in smaller markets, um, particularly in, in Colorado and in the Bay Area. Um, and so I got a chance to see many, many years of him just working his craft. And so one, in, in reference to like the notepad that he had during 846, um, it more likely, based on my observations of his work, was a prop than a notes that he needed. Um, because his his mind is one of the truly genius minds of comedy, in that he can maintain exactly what he said over the course of 10 hours and kind of never trip up um, in a set that is 
mostly improvisation. Um, to Amir's point, you know what he what he did in Atlanta, where he saw one person in the audience who had been at a previous show and did a completely different set than what he had done or what he was planning to do. Um, and I've I've seen him do that numerous times on sets longer than four hours. Uh, specifically to the to the monologue on Saturday. Um, I mean, I think it was exactly what Americans needed. And uh, it was, you know, Lauren Michaels knows what he's doing. Um, and he said it when, um, during the Mark Twain award ceremony um, for American humor, when Dave received that award a year ago, um, that when he asked him to do the monologue uh, the weekend that Trump was elected four years ago, he he said there was only one person that it could have been, and that was Dave Chappelle. And Amir earlier said that you know Dave was conscious that this monologue would age well, and I think if we look back four years ago when he did his monologue, he said he took heat for saying at the closing of that monologue that he was going to give Donald Trump a chance, that people wanted Dave to be angrier and um, unforgiving. And I think that has aged really well because in this monologue at the closing, you know, he gave that same energy, right, which was understand that there are 71 million people who voted for Trump who are in pain the way we were four years ago. And if we don't figure out how to understand that, we're in trouble as a country. Sure. Thank you for sharing uh, those thoughtful and considered musings. Uh, Namani, I really, really appreciate it. And I'm very grateful you're in the room today. Fire um, profile pick, by the way, on a more superficial note. Um, <laughs> the, yes, I, I completely agree. You know, the the monologue, as I'm sure this is true for so many of us, right, especially those, um, you know, with mixed friend groups and extend, extended family groups, et cetera, et cetera or anyone who's just navigating America, you know, as a black or brown person. Um, we know exactly what Dave was saying in 2016. We knew exactly what he was saying last night, even when it fell on seemingly deaf ears, right? And we're constantly, our history in America is one that we're constantly having to prove our humanity. Right. So on one hand, I understand reaching across the aisle and bipartisanship and both sides. Right. And I think to your point, to your earlier point about nuance, I'm I'm Mr. Nuance and, and context. I, I just want to reiterate, I was simply going over that line from the monologue, but completely understand your points and Amir's as well. Um, but yes, we're constantly having to prove our humanity 
And I say hate is not a side, right? So that's nothing I have to empathize with because I don't hate you. And for some reason, you hate me. But it's not that you actually hate me, right? Because people are conditioned to hate. It's a learned behavior. And it's like we've got to acknowledge these ugly, ugly wounds so that we can move forward. But unfortunately, everyone looks at the the personal as opposed to the system of all of this hurt and anguish and the laws, right, that prevent us from really living harmoniously. So I just want to thank you once again, Namani, for that insight and consideration. Jay, the floor is yours. I did want to, um, I was listening and, and I wanted to pull over and weigh in. Um, I, so I used to work at a gym in Santa Monica that Dave was a member at, and we never really spoke. Uh, it was one of those uh, distant uh, black man acknowledgements where it was just like, you know, I see you, uh, mostly because I, as, a, as an employee there, you know, when someone's at the gym, you give them their personal space, you know, and it was like, it, it, it was obvious I knew who he was. It was obvious it was acknowledged, and, and we respected each other as such. But uh, a couple years later, uh, I ended up leaving a gym, and I was in Austin uh, for business. And uh, I was at a club on 6th Street, and uh, I randomly ran into Dave Chappelle in, in the club. He was, like, four or five deep, or like, but looked like just nothing heavy, just normal cats, and very accessible. And... You know, I went up to him and, and I told him who I was and I, and I told him, you know, where, where we had the connection. And he, to, to reference the memory that uh, Namana speaks, he remembered it. Like, he was like, yeah. He was like, totally. Uh, and then he goes, in his famous voice, he goes, you know, what are you doing here? Like, wait, why the hell are you in Austin type thing? And um, it was a great story, but but in the conversation, I told him one of the reasons why I, I went up to, to tell him was I appreciated the fact that, um, Throughout his career, he was always finding a way to weave truth into his comedy in a way that was very comforting for someone like myself. Because much like him, I come from a very a, a, a family that's very uh, still very much so you know connected to our, our our antebellum history, and you know it's something that you almost learn to suppress uh, because. No one, well, no one wants to hear it, you know, like just really like people don't care or people don't believe it or it's just it's, it's just tough. But you learn to suppress it. And every time he would speak and reference it, it was it was such a great moment for me because I, I, I never heard anyone speak for, for my from my or for my rather internal truth. And just seeing him do that again last night, like I'm a very stoic person. Like, I don't, I, I don't celebrate much. I'm trying to work on it and, and be more present in life. But I can't tell you how, how loud I, I, I shouted and, and clapped and, like, in, in some ways praised what he was saying last night because I knew the, the, the reach of the moment. I, I mean, everything from, from, you know, the president-elect Joe and Kamala to Notre Dame Clemson to, to, to the, the waiting in the local news out in, in, in LA and then that moment and, 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 and knowing where that moment was touching throughout the country and what the I lived in Boise, Idaho for five years in college so I, I lived amongst these people and I know they were tuning in and I know what those living rooms are like and to have him just go there like it, it, it felt so good. It felt, and I'm still feeling good. And that's why when I saw this topic, I just had to to join. And um, I just, 
we needed that. And, and then the last thing I'll say, too, is as far as him reaching across the aisle, um, I think that's one of the, the reasons why I respect him more. Um, because of his willingness to do that and his continued willingness to do that and and, and take the L's that come with it, like Namani just said. Well, you know, he, he said he was going to give Trump a chance. You know, obviously, it was an L. But he takes that and he will do it again. And I think that that is so much a part of who we are uh, as, 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 as Africans, quite honestly. That, that's, that's our way. Um, and to see someone be who we really are and be surviving and thriving and not um, cast to the side or, 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 or thrown about like some, so many people that have come before him, is, is, it was such a great moment uh, for me as a black man. And I also feel like just for us as black people. Absolutely. Thank you for that insight, Jay. Yes. Dave is working, you know, <laughs> with all cylinders firing, you know, at, at once. And it is so brilliant to watch, you know, from an artistic standpoint, but it's even more brilliant and ultimately fulfilling and soul nourishing to see him start a monologue on national television talking about his great grandfather being born a slave. When have we seen that, right? And just to hammer that point home and connect every single dot. And again, connecting 2016 to today, our collective benevolence, which has carried us through, right? It's been a survival tactic that we endured this long, you know, that resilience that we have from the elders and the ancestors. And it's like, we don't hate you. We don't want you to fail, but we also don't want you to be in positions of power to actively inflict harm on so many others' lives, right? Ugh. Teddy. Yes. You know when we've seen that? When? We saw that on the premiere of Chappelle's show in January of 2003. Yes. The first sketch was Clayton Bigsby. Yes. And that's exactly what he did. Yes. That's Thank this, you. Let's, let's not get it twisted. This is like. This is who he's, he's been, been, of course. The last decade. Yeah, he's, he's been doing this for 20 years on tape. Absolutely. I think it's landing a little a little differently and it's a little more deliberate and less uh, veiled. But I completely, completely agree. Vanessa. Only because white people have gotten more woke. You know what I mean? A little bit more woke or a little bit more willing to to call a thing a thing like they're privileged. Yes. We could even, even say these words four years ago. White privilege. Absolutely. Absolutely. Gerald, I'm sorry. You're gonna you're gonna come up in two seconds. I just want to, yeah, two seconds. Thank you for being so patient. Uh, Amber, do you want to uh, put a button? I, I I'm not rushing yeah. you, but I know your Wi-Fi is tricky. So go. <laughs> Thank you. My my overall point, in now listening back to also just to add on what has been said, is that Dave Chappelle is in a in a league that has raised a lot of us who are storytellers who use comedy. And I think for me, um, the point I was making before is how he did have to be careful about how he was doing his comedy in terms of white audiences and not just the audiences, but white people as executives who we know only say, who were only saying yes to certain black comedy and content very sparingly. Um, 
And I think, that, again, it's just important to mention why he left the Chappelle show in addition to how we get the monologue we just got. But also, Dave Chappelle, um, as much as we call him a revolutionary, we do have to acknowledge the parts where he has fallen short. And Absolutely. another generation of storytellers who can do what Dave Chappelle does and so much more because they also see the humor of what does it mean to grow up in a white supremacist, allegedly white supremacist society, because I don't think white people are that supreme. Um, <laughs> how I call it a false for, belief in white supremacy. Whenever right. It's just a delusion. And, and I think all of these moments are exposing how fragile whiteness is and how fake it is. Um, so any comedian that pokes at that is going to resonate with us because it's like, yeah, you're speaking to audience. We've seen white people be extraordinarily mediocre. Like, that's what they really excel at is doing so little. Um, but I think it's important to mention where Dave Chappelle's comedy falls short because he doesn't see the humor of what it's like to grow up in this society as a queer person or as a trans person. Um, and to me, that's always going to be a slight disappointment because I know that his comedy can go that stretch. And I think it's a matter of him. I feel like Dave Chappelle is really a, a, com a comic for, like, cis, hetero, black men. Like, they really look up to him. When you look at some of his specials, you see him talking with Jay-Z and Kendrick Lamar and all these other folks. And I just think he would benefit so greatly from being surrounded by black women and um, black trans women who also do comedy. It's not just, I think, typically when we talk about this, we talk about these identities in terms of like, oh, they're just people walking the earth. No, we're funny too. <laughs> we make good jokes as well. And that should be poured into because it it's just really weird to watch someone have such a good grip on race, but not gender. Like right. as much as it is your great granddaddy who was a slave, he wasn't there by himself. <laughs> his his partner was with them, his mama was there. Like this. Black men are not experiencing these traumas in isolation, but we typically, it, I get why they censor themselves, but it's just always hard when we, people who aren't them, become their punchlines. Right. Who are positioning themselves as talking about white supremacy. And this is my final point. If you watch things like Disclosure on Netflix, lots of us talk about the harm that the very first movie, Birth of a Nation, did on black folks. Yes. Like, it was extremely racist, but what we know is white people have never said, you know who we're just going to hate? Black people. We are, uh, like, they extend that to trans folks, they extend that to women, and I didn't know that until I watched this documentary. Um, because I had always been taught Birth of a Nation was just racist, but white folks, they extend that to homophobia, they extend that to transphobia, and I think the beauty of opening up, like, if now we can make these jokes about locking white people in the house to prevent school shootings, like, we can, we can make those jokes in the direction of, yeah, we gotta put some of, some of these men in there, too, because they out here, like, my experience to go vote was a man following me, literally following me to the voting booth. Like, and that shit was wild to me because we talk a lot about voter suppression, but here I had to climb over my local street harasser in order to cast my ballot. Um, so I think there's humor and there's beauty in telling those stories as well, as well that I hope Dave Chappelle and the people around him are 
opening up pathways for it. But what I see him doing is like support his, um Louis C.K., who like I could go my whole life without. Right. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Amber, and I'm glad your Wi-Fi connection, you know, held strong uh, this go round. Uh, third time's the charm, right? To your point, I did want to put that into the room, and I was saving that for the end. Um, this platform is called Executive Realness, right? That is intentional. Uh, my thesis in life is young, gifted, black, and queer. It's about reclaiming our place in history and how the queer liberation movement has been at the forefront of liberating all black people. We see that with William Dorsey Swan, who was the, the you know, the first uh, cross-dresser or trans person of, of note, one of, you know, um, around the time of the Emancipation Proclamation and shortly thereafter, right? We know about Zora Neale Hurston and Langston Hughes's contributions to the Harlem Renaissance and the godfather of the Harlem Renaissance, Alan Locke, right, who really uh, packaged that movement. We know about Bayard Rustin, you know, teaching MLK Jr. about Gandhi and, you know, peaceful protests and nonviolent actions and organizing and organizing the March on Washington, but being pushed into the shadows, you know, for having interracial uh, homosexual relationships. We know about James Baldwin. We know about Marsha P. Johnson and and RuPaul and, and how the intersection of blackness and queerness has always freed all black people. But once black people get free, black and queer people that live at that intersection, and obviously I'm using queer as an umbrella catch-all, um, including trans folk, of course, that we get left behind from the liberation movements that we lead. So thank you for putting that into the room, Amber. And I love, love, love Dave Chappelle. And I do hope that he can um, hopefully bring a more intersectional lens to his comedy. I did feel, as I mentioned earlier, and Vanessa and I were remarking on, how last night hearing the Freddie Mercury um, HIV AIDS parts of the joke like stung because it felt like punching down. But today I see it with fresher eyes that like I still didn't like the language because the audience won't, that audience perhaps, wouldn't be able to check the temperature and the nuance of that joke. But I think it was more in relation to Reagan, right? And to the failings of America's government in action toward um, assisting, you know, queer people living with or becoming infected with HIV AIDS. And that's why we got the the uprising of you know, um, and the the galvanizing moment of Rock Hudson and Elizabeth Taylor's friendship that led to a lot of that research with Amfar and support for that. So thank you for problematizing our otherwise celebratory moment of Dave Chappelle's watershed monologue on SNL following the momentous occasion of Joe Biden as president-elect and the first Black biracial Indian American woman, Madam Vice President Kamala Harris. So, Gerald, the floor is yours. What's up, everybody? Uh, you know, uh, I feel like sometimes black people, we be so in our head. Sorry, it's a little loud one, man. We're so in our head, man. You know, I feel like, is it just me? But I feel like Dave Chappelle could have been doing this stuff and saying these things. Like, who's really going to come beating down this man's door to harm him because of the way he, you know, the way he wants to display his perspective, I think a lot of times we're always waiting on permission to be ourselves in black America, you know, when, and this is coming from me, right, I, I was a radical kid, I was a kid who would 
Yes, your anti-respectability. Absolutely. I, I'm rejoicing over here for everything you said and, and everything this room. I really feel like the universe delivered today. I'm so honored to have all these varying, though similar and interconnected perspectives shared here today. I loved your point about respectability or anti-respectability. You know, I said earlier in the room that civility will be the death of us, right? And I think that palatability and that spoon feeding that you mentioned has come from that oppression and us constantly walking on eggshells, right? For survival. I call it the woke for profit movement. I don't think I don't think anyone is saying you can't be too straight. I think here here's what it is. I just want to break it down for two seconds. We saw this uh, with the record voter turnout. Right. So let's say that the numbers didn't go up simply because all numbers went up. But the fact remains. White women, white gays and black cis hetero men held for constant, if not increased their numbers, whatever those numbers were, right, from 2016 to 2020. 
And I always say, because I live at two of those three intersections in my own life, right? I am a black man. I'm cisgendered, um, even though I am homosexual um, or queer identified. Uh, I'm also, you know, those are my two intersections. But unfortunately, I know some black log cabin gay Republicans like that. That makes no sense to me. And it's antithetical to our survival as a people. So no one is saying don't be too straight. It's saying your proximity to power. Right. So white women, oftentimes, unfortunately, they didn't see themselves in Hillary, whether it was her last name or what. But she was the most qualified person in history on credentials alone, whether you love her or hate her like they white women cozy up to their fathers and husbands and brothers and sons before they think about their own self-interest. I remember being at a very nice restaurant in Manhattan and a woman at the table next to me, she was complimenting my outfit or something. I was on a date. She was on a date. And then we both found out that we, you know, were working in the entertainment industry and she goes, Oh, all this Me Too stuff. You know, I fear for my son. He can't flirt with a girl. I came up in the music industry in the 90s. And, you know, my boss would press me against the wall in the elevator. And it was so hot and steamy. And I'm like, you may have liked that. But, like, people having that freedom, I guess, to assault people in the workplace, even if you don't see it that way, is, you know, keeping black and brown people, women, queer people so far behind because you pretty white woman with privilege that gets this executive job in the 90s wants to flirt with her boss and you fear for your son who's coming up now than you do for your own safety and that's the problem and similarly black straight men we saw this with the quote-unquote platinum plan right they start out saying f the police right and then they come to oh well let's try to work within the system chestnut checkers and all this nonsense and it's like again black Queer people from the beginning of time have been liberating the whole of black America, and yet no one gives that back to us in return. So no one is policing anybody's straightness. I give it to you because the the people that I've met that are queer, I say this, and I'm on record, are some of the most fearless motherfuckers to to know that everybody can look at you a certain way and you still don't give a damn. That shit is impressive. And I'm at a war against people that don't have the self-love to just be themselves and i think queer people are some of the most unadulterated themselves people and it's like an art like i'm learning as a straight person to not let you know people control me or even you know your woman in relationship control you manipulate you and it's just a all right all right no massage noir okay <laughs> Thank you, Gerald. Thank you. So happy you were able to join. <laughs> Listen, we're we're all learning and informing and teaching each other. We're all in this together, I say at the end of the day. Last but not least. Hi, Adia. Adia, I'm sorry. <laughs>
made that transition and what was going on in his life at the time that he chose to leave the show with his dad and just seeing where he is now and being on the platform that he is where there are some of the same people who are writing him off it's just so gratifying as a person to know that if you live your life in a way that you're doing your best eventually you know you're you know they say give people their flowers while they're still here um, there's so much uh, nuances to him and us as humans, as people. So just noting that both of his parents were professors, and he is literally teaching uh, and, and connecting to uh, millions of people in a way, and literally teaching some people who have no idea about certain things. And what I find so fascinating, because I know you mentioned his suit was like, and I'm jumping, so hope stay with me, um, his suit and just how uh, he looked. and. And, and slimmed down and healthy he looked, and then I just couldn't get out of my head the cigarette. I don't know. <laughs> and I'm trying to wonder what's in the cigarette, or what is he really smoking, or what is it? Because it's just a literal representation of how we are flawed, or we are contradictions. Yes, walking, literally walking contradictions, and there's a space in this world for everyone to do what they do well and hopefully with as little harm as possible and to, to, to be rewarded some in whatever way that is. I just, he, he's fascinating. He's a genius. I, I definitely, uh, that cisgender, male, heterosexual kind of thing, I, 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 I see it. And But just seeing how he has the ability to reach people, you know, think about it. You know, even just a cigarette, that cigarette smoking brings him to a level of commonality to a lot of people who are literally um, struggle with their own vices, right? So it's just so much. But yes, it was, it was, it was just a um, fascinating, and I'm just excited to see what what continues from from his work. So yeah, completely agree, and I'm so happy. Um, that, you know, the brilliant women on the stage uh, helped me problematize the matter as we also praise uh, the fearlessness and the knowledge that Dave has continued to share over 20 years at this point, but especially, especially tonight, or I'm sorry, last night, uh, and in this, this heated moment that we're in, but like in this room where we may have uh, disagreed ever so slightly, we are more alike than we are different, right? And to your point about the cigarettes, I say self-care, right? Uh, you know, my vice has become champagne. I've had more champagne during Rona than I have in my entire life. Um, you know, so if his is a little cigarette on stage, so be it. Uh, <laughs> but yes. I want to, I want to send him some Nat Sherman's because you know I buy them for friends because I think they look so chic. I don't smoke, uh, but I'm like, you know what? If you're gonna if you're gonna do some lung damage, at least do it with a gold tip, you know. <laughs> he would he would more likely do a Dijaro, so it would just be all black. Ah, aha, uh -huh. good to know. So while we have like, I do have a question about in 
intersectionality. Yeah, I was actually just about to open the floor to questions, so please ask. I'll shush now and you ask your question. So I'm, and I'm, I've had these conversations um, with him, but so I'm asking this from my perspective, not from his. Um, Dave is a cisgendered, heterosexual black male. Is it his role to speak for any other voice than that any more than we should be holding uh, Jerry Seinfeld accountable for speaking out for queer liberation? That is a false equivalency. I get your point, and I think I'm I'm just chiming in quickly because I don't I don't want to give this too much space, and we're also short on time. Um, it's not that it's Dave's responsibility because I, I I agree. Like everyone can't be all things. The problem is numerous times he has punched down, and it, again, like last night's Freddie Mercury joke, I could take a step back while it stung last night and seemed like punching down, and I still think it was there was a tinge of punching down. I can also see the the connect to the broader American political system, right? That he was trying to draw, um, you know, and ideate there. Unfortunately, because he goes off on those topics, he then becomes responsible. But it's a, a responsibility of his own making. So what was the second yeah, part of your question? I, sorry, did you have a second part? Because I can answer in, a, in addition to that, I don't. I don't. I don't listen to Jerry Seinfeld. Listen to Jerry. Listen, guy, we all love Seinfeld. No hateration we, in the dancery. You Seinfeld, saw the club rules. In no. 2020, in 2020, I'm not like, oh, I wonder what Jerry has to say about this. I am a person who loves Dave Chappelle, though, and I think to the point that you're giving Teddy, it's like I wouldn't require that of him if he didn't literally use these people in his jokes. And I think since he is a cis hetero black, and I've, I've gone to comedy clubs here where it's like black male performer after black male performer has all these jokes for queer people and for women, but then their their set will pivot towards praising Bill Cosby or the fact that like how how do you not have jokes for that person? How do you not have jokes for R. Kelly? when these are of your your collective. And it was another question I had when, um, I don't know if it was his latest special, but when he had the, the Me Too comment, and it's like, you're, you are punching down on this when one of your best friends is Kanye West. I could do a whole comedy special on the ridiculousness that is Kanye West, and you have intimacy in that topic, the same way you have intimacy associated with um, Charlie Murphy and the stories of um, and, and those stories with Prince and so on. So to me, it's just I, I think it's comedically a little lazy for you to not incorporate them in in your jokes outside of punching down what we know the type of comedy Dave Chappelle is best at is punching up, right? Making these grand. Um, grand uh obvious statements about our society and about our country it's just interesting to me that he doesn't do that for this demographic that's also black which to me i i as someone who i i came into my queer identity later in my life it i think it's 
I can account that to who I have around me. And I can assume that I don't want Dave Chappelle to pick up my issue in his mouth, but I do want him to give space for people who are comics, who are storytellers, who do poke fun at him, put them on the same stage. Yeah, I think those are great. Those are great points. One second, Imani. Um, I also wanted to add or ask you um, before we get to the second part of your question or response. You know, it's the same thing. It's a, it's a certain um, laziness, right? And we know how erudite Dave is, so I don't want to say that he's lazy, but he does have blind spots on this issue, right? Um, and seems to double down on, uh, I don't know, a laziness or or an ignorance as it relates to intersectionality. But you said you were asking for yourself, so I'll answer directly to you. It's the same thing when, you know, like Chelsea Handler has become this like social justice warrior, the last, like she's rebranded the last three or four years, but like her whole platform was built on like calling black women bitches, like even if it was like Rihanna or Beyonce, right? Um, and like the whole Mandingo fetishization BBC of black men, right? So it's the same thing when you're watching, you know, 30 Rock and the joke is Tracy Morgan is a buffoon, Twofer is, you know, a whitewashed black man, um, and the punchline is you're black. It's the same thing. Go on, Namani. Well, they're also killing black trans women. I would not say that's near a majority, right? It's too much though. It, it, it's, no, no, no. It, it's it, it's Matt, part of it, yes. Let the money talk. I can't want to hear what he has to say. It's just thought. So I think, I just think that it's, it's important for us as community to acknowledge where things stand and i think dave brings some truth to where things stand right that that in the same way that in 1950 um our parents might have told us not to talk back because of the fear and the risk that it would take and then it took people taking that risk in order to get us to the 60s and the 70s that these are these are processes but we like we have work to do in our communities um and i think there i think there are people who are doing some of this work with celebrities but i think more or most importantly that that the voices need to come forth, right? That that folks with these unique and different voices and different perspectives um, continue to grind and sharpen, I'll say their swords, because it's not my personal identity. Um, in order to like break through because i think there is i think there is a stage i think there is a channel um 
I don't, I don't know that it's. I think what I'm hearing, and we're unfortunately going to have to wrap up. I just want final thoughts from from Amber and Vanessa after this. Um, but thank you for for your candor. And I completely agree that, you know, whereas, you know, how I show up in the world or how Amber shows up in the world or even how Vanessa and Tony may show up in the world. Right. We're, we're existing on different planes, but shared planes. And my point is, you don't have to be a black person, white person X, to know that like bigotry is wrong, that racism hurts, that like systems of oppression exist, right? So it's the same thing for like black, cis, hetero men. And I don't want to overstate um, or seemingly misstate that only black men are killing black trans women. We know that's not the case. We know that all these systems of oppression and this quote unquote black on black crime or intra-community um, yes. violence is all, it all trickles down from white supremacy. So I just want to put that into the room. I'm not like demonizing black men because I'm a black man myself and we know how these systems of oppression work. I just want to say that much like we want white allies to help disband these systems of oppression, we need in the community, straight black men to help with women's liberation and queer liberation as well. That's all. So Amber and then Vanessa and we'll be out. Yeah. So thank you so much for that. And I, I actually appreciate the question and I just want to make a, a, some quick points since we're wrapping up. One, um, I, when, when black men say, well, we don't know anything, just in this conversation right now, I made you aware. And what I often find is when, when folks are made aware, they then go into this place of, well, it's not that bad. But literally, even one, if it were one black man who killed another black person who is trans, we should all be like, oh, my God. Why did you do that? What can we do? Like, one life is too many. And the reality is there are many lives, and it's not just black trans women. Black women are being killed at very high numbers by their intimate partners as well. So I just want to mention that. On the other part of it is, is I, I'm, I was just speaking with Teddy about this earlier, I, yesterday, that places like this allow you to get to know people who are saying these things, I think, and who are doing this work. So there's no longer this excuse where, where we can find the, uh, the queer black person who also enjoys Chappelle, who can write a joke in this direction or who can help elevate in that way. Um, so th that's just a, a point that I want to make that when, when you do become aware of something that you haven't seen, the answer can't always be to debunk that person. And I think Dave Chappelle's comedy sometimes, even when he critiques folks, which I found some of those jokes funny because the internet is wild, that he makes it seem like it's not supporters of his. And there are people who enjoy his work who are like, man, this could be better in this direction. Um, and funnier, like that, that's the real gag when you get into the weeds of these things. If you hang with the girls, if you're with the queers, you realize there's a lot of humor going on. There's a lot of great storytelling happening. But I find that some people who are already in alleged positions of power just refuse to get to know it. They, they are willfully not entering into these conversations um, for whatever reason. I, I would, I, sometimes I'm like, is it that you don't want to share the mic? Like, what is it? Um, so I would say these people are here and not even a way to demonize you, but to be like, I'm, I'm telling you what I know, not what I think. Um, so those are my final 
final points around that is like this is an opportunity and if we believe folks like Chappelle are geniuses and are the best of their kind we can also say that this could be better because um, that's what geniuses do they innovate and Namani, I just want to put into the room uh, publicly, I'm so happy that you were able to stick around. Um, it's a pleasure to meet you, and I welcome the opportunity to, to continue this conversation one-on-one -on -one offline, whether it's phone, the clubhouse, DM, whatever. Queen Vanessa Williams, you have the floor. Thank you for joining us today. I, I'm beyond honored. Oh, my goodness. I'm so honored to be among this rich, rich conversation that's so respectful and that everyone can really hold space for differing ideas and the nuances in the conversation. So I'm just so grateful that we're able to have this much needed conversation and we need to have more like it so that as, as Amber was saying, that it becomes an invitation, not an indictment of, and an invitation to be better and be more inclusive and and just go higher with with our comedy and our understanding of each other and it's and it's so vitally important um on 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 all those variations so thank you for having this room teddy and um and for you know recognizing me this is such a wonderful blessing of this um, platform to be able to really engage like this with so many brilliant minds and so i'm just grateful and humbled to be among you Yes, and we know Candyman is is due in twenty twenty one. Nia DaCosta's Candyman, executive produced by Jordan Peele, which has Vanessa Williams making. Uh, I mean, talk about a surprise appearance! I think everyone gagged when they saw the trailer. Is there anything else you want to plug? Well, um, not not anything at the moment. There'll be there'll be other rooms for that. Um, that you know, it's so interesting because uh, the whole thing was like to keep it a surprise that um, that Anna Marie was coming back. And I guess just when they were editing it and deciding to market it, they said, you know, what the hell, like, let's put this in the, um, in the trailer. So I was thrown and surprised pleasantly. And then when it went viral and all the memes came, it was just such a, such a wonderful, gratifying um, moment. So yeah, it's going to be dope. And um, it's definitely a very serious and, um, you know the horror in it is is um, more uh, more on our collective trauma as as a people. It it really speaks to that. Similarly, in the way that um, uh, Lovecraft Country uh, speaks to our the the trauma of being black is a horror show. And so everyone, you know, check out Candyman coming to big screens or some screen sometime in 2021, you know, stream soul food and check out one of my personal favorites, New Jack City. I cannot thank you all enough for joining this episode of Executive Realness. I'm your host, Teddy Tenson. Stay tuned. I send you with peace, love, and gratitude. Be well. Bye-bye. Bye. Namani, thank you for your words of wisdom, darling. Yes. Thank you. And keep in touch, please. I just, I, I just felt like you needed a little controversy in the room. Oh, so you just, you just wanted to shake tables. I see, I see how you work.